Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. So I am not Pastor Dan. Uh, my name is David Steinbarger. I'm the youth director here at church. Uh, and I got a text from Pastor Dan this morning that was like, I'm sick. Can you preach? And I was like, sure. Sure I can. Um, so we are uh, straying away from our Revelation series. Today we are going to be in the Gospel of John um, because that is the backup sermon that I wrote a year ago. So uh, <laughs> praise God that I did not need it till now and that it's been written. So if you could all turn with me to John 3, that would be really great. Um, if you are in the Red Bible, it is on page 887, and we will be reading through John 3, verses 1 through 17. Okay, so starting in verse 1, it says, Now... There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time when he, into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, as we come to your word, um, uh, as we come to this passage, and a little bit of a surprise as, as Pastor Dan is out sick, um, as uh, uh, I am meekly trying to preach through your word, I just, I just come to you as, as we come to you as needy people. Uh, we come to you with uh, um, uh, much like Nicodemus comes to you, uh, unknowing, uh, unsure, asking lots of questions, God, and uh, you answer them for us. Pray that uh, you can teach us through your word. I thank you that while we uh, maybe uh, are unprepared for today, you are not. Um, and I thank you that uh, the only thing we truly need is your word and you've provided it for us here today. I pray that you teach us through it. So I pray all these things in your name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so uh, some of you guys know me. Some of you guys don't know me. Um, I, uh, a lot of the youth students know me and get to know the, the like weird, strange quirks that I have. Um, and as you all get to know me better, you will get to know some of the, the unique things about me. Um, and uh, I just want to share a couple of those unique things with you today. Um, there's a lot, but uh, I'll talk about two for now. Um, so one of the things that is, is unique to me, um, that is maybe not so unique to other people, is that I love children. Okay, especially my children, but I love children, which I'll admit isn't super unique. A lot of people like children, um, but it's, it is unique when you add it to the second thing that uh, uh, is, is quirky about me. Um, while I love children, I also um, uh, don't have like rose-colored glasses about children. Okay, I, I, I don't believe that children are better than they are. I think they're the most precious people in the world, but, but not like little angels, right? I'm, I'm very quick to say that my kids are little sinners. Um, you know, I, I don't believe that kids are innocent of sin. Um, and, 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 you know, what, what now feels like forever ago, when I was, when I was working on my undergrad, um, I was writing, I was, in, I was in a psychology class, and I was writing a paper about children. Um, and in hindsight, it maybe wasn't the wisest thing for me to say what I said, but I, I compared to children, uh, I compared children to like, like black holes. Um, so I, I, I called them, uh, especially babies, but I called them black holes of, of neediness. Um, because children are like endlessly needy, right? Like a lot of moms are, are nodding their heads right now, yeah? Yeah, children are endlessly needy. They will take as much from you as you can give them. You know, but here's the thing about the fact that children are like endlessly needy. It's for me, one, it doesn't diminish my love for them. And two... I don't know that it's wrong for children to be needy. 
You know, fundamentally, I don't think it's wrong. In fact, it might be one of the reasons why Jesus says that we need to have faith like a child. Okay, so, so let me explain this. See, the, the parent-child relationship is rooted in the needs of the child. Okay, see, if, if God didn't create children to be needy, then children would not need to live in the womb. Children would not need to be born, like, like they wouldn't need to be, to be birthed. Children would not need to live under the love, provision, discipline, and teaching of their parents. In fact, if God did not create children to be needy, I'm not certain children would need to exist. Okay, God could just have people like pop out of the ground, fully formed without the need to grow up or, or be taken care of, right? Kind of, kind of like how Adam was created fully formed from the dust of the earth. Okay, and, and stick with me for a little bit. I know this is strange because the neediness of people is, is so ingrained into our design but if you take this idea that children are needy um, to its logical conclusion, then I think that one of the most significant things that would be lost if, if children were not needy, or if people in general were not needy, one of the most significant things lost would be families. You know, think about it. Why did God create Eve? It's because Adam needed her. You know, what, what happens when a child no longer needs their parents? Well, they leave their parents. They leave their family. And sometimes, oftentimes, they start a family of their own. If, if we were not needy, you would have no need of a family. And that would be tragic. Okay, and so believe it or not, human neediness is actually built into us. Okay, originally we were created to be needy. See, Adam and Eve needed God. They needed to work. They needed each other. Neediness is not wrong. In fact, it is often the opposite of neediness that leads to sin. You know, original sin didn't come out of Adam and Eve's neediness, but out of their desire for self-reliance and independence from God. See, I believe one of the reasons, maybe even the primary reason, why God created us to be born as, as needy children, who eventually have needy children of our own, is to give us a picture of a much greater neediness that we have. In today's passage, Jesus has a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. And in one of the more famous passages in the Bible, Jesus very significantly points out our neediness by describing our salvation from sin as being born again. Okay, that, that more than food more than water, 
more than power, more than fame, intelligence, husbands, wives, children, the perfect career, lots of money, but especially, especially what you and I need more than self-reliance is to be born again. See, we need to be born into God's family as God's children. And in order to be born again, we need Jesus. And so tonight, as we walk through this, sorry, today, (laughs) this is an old youth group message. Today, as we walk through this passage, my prayer is that God points out to you how we need Jesus before, during, and after we have been born again. Okay, so first, we need Jesus before we are born again. Okay, so Jesus starts his public ministry here. He has started his public ministry, and he has been going uh, uh, for a little while. He started performing miracles, um, and uh, he, Jesus is catching the attention of lots of people. He's starting to build up a following, um, but he is also catching the attention of the Pharisees. Um, and up to this point, um, uh, the Pharisees have been trying to uh, stop Jesus from, from performing miracles and from his public ministry. Um, and while this happens, there's one particular Pharisee who reaches out to Jesus, and his name is Nicodemus. Um, and uh, Nicodemus could very well be a, a extremely influential Pharisee. And Nicodemus says that he wants to talk to Jesus. He has questions for him, and so he asks Jesus to talk to him late at night. Now, unlike the other Pharisees, Nicodemus uh, isn't trying to accuse Jesus of anything. He isn't trying to trap Jesus. See, he recognizes that God is with Jesus, and he seems from his questions to genuinely want to learn from him. Nicodemus needs Jesus to explain what it is that he is witnessing through his miracles. And so Jesus agrees, and he has a conversation with this very needy man. And he gives Nicodemus the answers that he seeks. But as we see in this passage, Nicodemus has no idea what the answers mean. Okay, so, so what is the actual conversation that they have? To paraphrase, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Then unless you are born of water, which probably just means a physical birth, and unless you are born of spirit, which is a spiritual birth, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus, who doesn't understand, says, how can these things be? He's like, can a man who's grown enter into his mother's womb and be born again? Nicodemus has no idea what Jesus is saying. But this isn't because Nicodemus doesn't have knowledge of God or God's ways. This is because Nicodemus has never experienced God's ways. You see, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He is effectively a professor of God. He probably knew as much about God as a person could know. But pure knowledge without experience 
is ignorant. See, Nicodemus could not understand God or God's ways because he had never experienced God or God's ways. And so Nick, Jesus is doing for Nicodemus through his stories, he is bridging the gap between his knowledge and his experience by explaining heavenly things with earthly things. Jesus explaining things to Nicodemus. Jesus is explaining things that Jesus has, that, sorry, Jesus is, is explaining to Nicodemus what he has not experienced with things that he has experienced. Okay, that's why Jesus is saying you must be born again. Nicodemus can't understand heavenly things because he's never experienced them. But Nicodemus has experienced earthly things. So that is what Jesus uses to explain heavenly things. And only Jesus can do this for him because only Jesus, as the God-man, has experienced both. Okay, so so let, let me kind of try and illustrate how this works. See, growing up, uh, my family uh, used to take a skiing trip out to Colorado every year. Uh, and we would always go to the same mountain. We'd go to Copper Mountain to ski in the Rockies every single year. And, and that was my uh, experience with skiing, and I loved it. Um, and uh, many years later, when I moved to Green Bay, I started skiing again. Um, because I missed it, and winters were long, and I uh, needed something to do that was fun. And so I started skiing again, um, and to my dismay, I discovered that the biggest mountain close to me was Granite Peak. Um, and, and I went down, and I blinked, and it was over, and I was so sad. Um, and, and uh, you know, so, so, like, I'm talking to Green Bay locals who've never been outside or never seen a, a real mountain, um, and I'm trying to explain what mountains are actually like and, and, and what Copper Mountain was like. Um, and and, and it, I, I, I would try to explain them. Like by saying they're they're majestic and and they're enormous and and they like they break the sky and and they inspire awe and they make me feel so small and 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 they would look at me and be confused and not understand what I was saying and and then I'd be like it's like Granite Peak but way bigger and they'd be like oh okay now that makes sense right like I could I could only explain the Rockies to people through something that they have already experienced. If you've never seen the Rockies, you need something that you have experienced to bridge the gap. See, the truth is that you and I, we need someone who has experienced heavenly things and earthly things to explain heavenly things to us. You and I need Jesus we need Jesus before we are born again because Jesus, the God-man, has experienced both heaven and earth. And he is the only one who can explain heavenly things in a way that we can understand. So we need Jesus before we are born again. We also need Jesus to be born again. See, when Jesus came to earth, he started explaining what heaven was like. 
uh, he started explaining what God was like by comparing heavenly, godly things to earthly things. And, and during his ministry, people started to understand with their minds. Okay, but starting to understand what it means to be born again is not enough. All right, we also need Jesus in order to be born again. Right, we don't need Jesus to, to be born again. We, we, need, we need to be born again. We need Jesus so that we can be born again. In verse 16 and 17, we see the most famous verses in the Bible. Right? It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay, so, so why did Jesus leave heaven to come into the world? Was it to teach us? Was it to be a good teacher? Partly, right? Was it to bring judgment into the world? Um, not this time, not the first time. Uh, was, it, was it to be a good person? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, but mostly... Jesus came into the world this time, his first time, to save it, right? That through belief in Jesus, we would not perish, but have eternal life. And like I said, these are the most famous verses in the Bible, that Jesus came into the world to save us. And that is so wonderful. We love these verses. This is good news. Jesus came to save us. How are we saved? Well, that's easy. It's right in the verse. You just need to believe. Bro, what does that mean? Right? Like, just believe. What, what, how do you do that? You know, in, in my time as, as, as the director of our youth group, I get to, to talk to a lot of potential leaders who, who want to lead uh, voluntarily in our youth group. Um, and, and uh, you know, teenagers and kids have a lot of questions. And so I like to ask our leaders a lot of questions and see, and see how they answer them. And one of my favorite questions to watch volunteer leaders struggle through is, uh, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? This is like a really hard question for people to answer. Um, it's a really hard question for, for Christians to answer. What, how, how do you have faith in Jesus? What, what does it actually mean to have faith in Jesus? You know, I, a friend of mine and I, we have talked for hours trying to define faith in Jesus. And, and it, it always felt like we got close, but, but couldn't like perfectly describe what saving faith is. You know, and, and it just brings up this question, like, why is it so hard for Christians to explain something as fundamental as faith in Jesus? And honestly, personally, I think it's because faith is one of those heavenly things. I think faith is something that we have to experience in order to understand you know, a, a Christian trying to explain faith in Jesus is like trying to explain the color red to a blind person. What do you say? Right? You say like red is... Red. 
You know, like, like, like faith in, faith in Jesus is, faith in Jesus. I don't know. It, it seems like it's beyond our ability to perfectly explain. Okay, but thankfully, because Jesus, the God-man, knows what faith in him is, he explains it for us in verses 14 and 15 when he references this story in the Old Testament. See, the story that Jesus is referencing in verses 14 and 15 about Moses lifting up a serpent um, is found in the book of Numbers. When the Israelites were wandering through the desert um, and and they started speaking against God, Uh, they were becoming bitter toward God because he wasn't bringing them to the promised land. And so as a loving father to correct their thinking, God sends in a bunch of venomous snakes And these venomous snakes start biting the Israelites, um, and they were becoming poisoned, and the poison was killing them, which, by the way, is a perfect illustration for how sin kills us. Um, But he, he did this, and then, as they were dying, God provided a way for those who have been bitten and poisoned by a snake to be saved. See, God told Moses to build a serpent and put it on a pole, and then stand it up. So Moses built a snake out of bronze and put it on a pole. And everyone who looked at this serpent, this bronze serpent, was healed from the venom that was coursing through their veins. Okay, so so why does Jesus reference this event in Israel's history to explain faith? Let me ask you this. What would you do right now if like hundreds of thousands of venomous snakes just appeared in the sanctuary? Okay, what would you do? What would you do? Would you like run? Would you stand on your chair and hope they couldn't get you? Maybe some of the people in here, maybe, maybe some of you guys are really brave and you would try to like fight the snakes. You'd like, you'd like stomp on them and try and kill them before they killed you. I don't know. One of those things, hopefully, hopefully you wouldn't just like sit here and get bitten and die. Um, you know, but, but, but let me ask this, okay? Let me ask you this. Let's say while all this is happening, um, I'm shouting at you. I'm saying, hey, hey, everyone, look at me. Look at me right now. You need to look at me. Would any of you do that? You can answer. It's okay. You can respond. Would any of you look at me? <laughs> you shouldn't, <laughs> okay? Like, like, why would you do that? Would, that would be crazy, right? Why would you take your eyes off of the thing trying to kill you? That wouldn't help you. You need to be looking at the danger so that you can, you, you can dodge it or you can defend yourself or you can run away or attack the thing that is trying to kill you. But here's the thing, the reason, the reason why we as people look danger in the eye, right? The reason why when something is threatening us, we stare straight at it is because we believe we have a chance of saving ourselves from it, right? We believe that we have a chance to fight it or to defend ourselves or to run away from it. You see, by telling them, by telling the Israelites that in order to be saved, they needed to look at the bronze serpent, 
God is giving them the opportunity to demonstrate their faith. Okay, to show that they believe that they cannot save themselves from the venomous snakes. That they cannot heal themselves from the poison coursing through their veins. See, God is giving them an opportunity to show that they understand that there is nothing they can do to save themselves. And to also show that they believe that God will save them the way he says he will. You know, faith in Jesus is confessing that sin is coursing through our veins and that there is nothing you can do to save yourself from the death that our sin deserves. You know, faith in Jesus is turning away from our attacker and looking to Jesus. Faith in Jesus is trusting that Jesus, the son of man, was lifted up on the cross and that his death and resurrection can and did save you from sin and death because he says it did. That is what it means to have faith in Jesus. But I don't want you to miss this. See, Jesus also links faith to being born again. Okay, and so following his illustration, I want to answer some other questions about our faith. See, when a baby is born, how does the baby know that it's time to be born again? Well, the mother signals the baby that it's time to be born again, to be born, not again. Okay, by whose strength is the baby born? This one's obvious. Okay, it's through the mother's undeniable strength that the baby is born. The baby doesn't do anything. Okay, what, what is the cost for a baby to be born? It's everything. You know, it costs the mother everything. It costs the mother pain, suffering, time, sleep, her independence costs the mother everything. Often, historically, before the advent of modern medicine, it would cost the mother her own life for that baby to be born. You know, the baby does nothing. The mother does everything. Right? But here's the best part of childbirth. The baby is born into a family Right? And the mother's response to all the cost, all the pain, all the strength, the work, suffering that is required for her child to be born is pure joy. You and I, we need Jesus. We need Jesus in order to be born again. You know, we needed him to tell us when it was time we needed his strength to actually be born again. We needed Jesus to give up his life, his holiness, his relationship with God. We needed Jesus to give up everything so that we could be born again. And yet, just like when we are born the first time, when we are born again, we are born into a family. We are born into God's eternal and permanent family. And Jesus' response to us after all this work, pain, suffering, 
and cost for our rebirth is pure joy. Do you recognize your need for Jesus? Will you put your faith in Jesus? Have you been born again? Well, there is evidence to being born again. You know, and again, we need Jesus to understand the evidence. You see, when we are born again, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The only problem is that he is invisible, right? We, we can't see him. But look at the way that Jesus explains the Holy Spirit in verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You see, we, we can't see the Spirit, right? But we can feel him. You know, we can feel his power and we can see his effect. Just like when the wind gusts over you and you can feel its power, when the Spirit washes over you, you can feel his power. Just like when the wind moves the leaves and moves the flag and you can see its effects, right? When, when the Spirit moves you or someone to turn away from their sin and turn to faith in Christ, or when the Spirit moves you to tears when you are in church singing praises or praying quietly in your room, we can see the evidence of the Spirit's effects. You see, after we are born again, it might still be difficult for us to explain our faith and our salvation and the indwelling of the Spirit. But we're able to understand it because we've experienced it. Okay, but just like the way that knowledge without experience is ignorance, experience without knowledge is dangerous. Because often, even though we have experienced something wonderful, it does not mean that we can correctly discern it from other similar but dangerous things. Okay, so about a year ago, um, uh, uh, my daughter Sarah, she, she comes up to me, um, she's three, she comes up to me and she's like, Dad, I ate a piece of candy. And I was like, great. And then I started thinking, I was like, wait a second. All of our candy is on top of our refrigerator. And, you know, Sarah's pretty capable, um, but she's three, right? She shouldn't be able to climb up our refrigerator to get a piece of candy. And so I was like, hmm, I'm going to investigate. So I was like, Sarah, that's great. Wait, can you show me? where you got this piece of candy? And she's like, sure. And so she starts wandering through the house away from the refrigerator uh, and brings me to our medicine closet. 
um, which apparently she learned how to unlock, and, and then shows me the bottle of melatonin gummies um, that, that she had opened. And this bottle has a child safety lock on it that was apparently useless. Um, and, and so I, I, she shows me this bottle, and on the inside, I'm panicking. Uh, and uh, I, was like, I was like, oh, okay, great. And, and I calmed myself down, um, and I asked her, I was like, Sarah, how many of those gummies did you eat? Because Sarah can eat a lot of candy. Um, and, and, and she looks at me, and she's like, uh, one. And I breathed a huge sigh of relief, and Sarah was really sleepy all day. Okay? But her experience with the joy of candy, without the knowledge that not all gummy things are candy, is dangerous, right? right? She needs me to help her discern the difference between candy, which is wonderful, and medicine, which could poison her. You know, we need Jesus. We need Jesus after we are born again in the same way that a child needs a parent to teach them what is true and what is a lie, right? Jesus teaches us how to explain our experience. He teaches us how to identify the spirits. See, Jesus through his word teaches us what is the spirit and what is not the spirit. Jesus, through his word, teaches us when we are following the discernment and leading and prodding of his spirit or when we are following the leading and prodding of our emotions. And Jesus, through his word, helps us discern if the spirit is leading us into true repentance or if we are being obedient for the sake of obedience or out of fear of a punishment. You see, Jesus, like a parent, teaches us how to understand the law of God and how to apply scripture to our lives through the power of his Holy Spirit. Church, you and I, we need Jesus. We need Jesus in every way. We need Jesus before we are born again, we need Jesus in order to be born again, and we need Jesus after we are born again. We are needy people, and that's not wrong. What, what is wrong is when we don't go to Jesus with our need. What is wrong is when we try to do on our own what we need Jesus to do. Church, I have, you have probably heard them, but I have a lot of Sarah stories. A lot of stories about that girl being disobedient or crazy or breaking my things. Okay, um, and sometimes as I share these stories over the years, I've, I've wondered if people get the wrong impression about my feelings toward my daughter. Okay, and, and so I want to set the record straight here and now. I love Sarah. Okay, I love Sarah so much. And at the same time, she is the single most frustrating person in the world for me. She frustrates the bejeebers out of me. And, and I'll tell you why. I finally figured it out about a year ago. The reason why Sarah frustrates me, the reason why Sarah causes me so much internal stress and anxiety, the reason why she exhausts me is not because she's disobedient. 
It's not because she talks back. It's not because she's impulsive. It's not because she breaks her sister's things or likes to punch me. Those are not the reasons why she stresses me out. What stresses me out about Sarah is that she does not come to me with her need. She, she thinks that she can do so many things that she just can't do yet. She, she, and, and she doesn't trust that I know what she can and cannot do. Right? When, when, when she was three, she would carry around these like huge cups of water uh, because she wanted to and she thought she could and then she'd spill them everywhere. Um, uh, she, she would try to, she still tries to climb up her sister's bunk bed without the ladder, which never goes well for her. She like wants to jump into the fire pit. She likes running across our church parking lot uh, while, while cars are driving in it. She tries to unbuckle her own car seat. She has tried multiple times to plug in our phones to the outlets in the wall without the brick, like just the straight cable into an outlet. When we were potty training her, she always tried to, to change her own poopy diapers, which was terrible. And, you know, on and on and on. And I would just get so frustrated and anxious and stressed because I'd, I'd be watching her do these things. I'd be watching her do these things. And I, I, would, I would say to her, Sarah, you, you need my help. I, I'm here to help you. Can, can it? No, you cannot cut those vegetables with a knife. How did you even get that knife? Sarah, ask for my help. I'm here to help you. Please, please let me help you. And as I'm pleading with her to let me help her, she looks at me and she says, I can do it. But she can't. And then she gets hurt. Because I love her so much, it kills me to see her in pain when I could have prevented it if she just asked for my help. You know, and on the flip side, helping Sarah do the things that are beyond her ability, like doing backflips or, or, or climbing up monkey bars or, or helping me with one of my woodworking projects, those are the greatest joys that I have as her dad. Church, God is not annoyed when we come to him with our need. He is delighted to help us with the things that are beyond us because we are his children and children need their father. And praise our Lord Jesus Christ who has provided for our need by making us who believe in his death and resurrection born again. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we are needy people. We thank you for that. We praise you for our need because it teaches us that we are never beyond needing our Father. Lord, we praise you because you remind us daily that we cannot do it without you and then you do it for us. Lord, I pray that we never forget how much we need you, and that we never forget to come to you with our need. And I pray this all in your name. Amen.